You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, everyone. Just wanted to take a moment to tell you a little bit about our new partner, ArtAndObject.com. ArtAndObject.com is a great new site that provides up-to-date information about art, art history, and what is happening in the art world. It's a great resource that features current exhibitions all around the world and showcases arts-related content, like podcasts. Be sure to check it out at www.artandobject.com. I also wanted to quickly thank all of our patrons for making the Art History Babes possible, and a special thank you to our producer-level patrons, Sarah Sawachka-Dalton and Anna-Marie Piccioni. We seriously appreciate y'all so much. If you would like to learn how to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes, and enjoy the show! From Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie. And we are the Art History Babes. And we have a very special guest with us today, author Fiona Davis. Hello, Fiona. Hello. Happy to be here. Welcome to our show. And thank you for discussing your work and what you do with us and our listeners. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I write historical fiction. I'm based in New York City. I lived in a whole lot of places, but have been here in the city now for about 30 years. And all of my books are centered around iconic New York City buildings. And I like to kind of explore, you know, everything from art to jazz to architecture in the books in what's hopefully a, a fast moving mystery with a, a good plot twist and interesting characters. Yeah, definitely. I've only read your most recent, but I would say you achieve that. Is the world of art historical <laughs> fiction very large? <laughs> well, you know, I, I do historical fiction. This last book really had a focus on art. But yeah, the, the world of historical fiction is pretty huge. And my first book, The Dollhouse, took place at the Barbizon Hotel for Women. The second one, which was called The Address, took place at the Dakota Apartment House, which is known for where John Lennon was shot. Mm -hmm. And my third one, The Masterpiece, which just came out about a month ago, takes place at Grand Central Terminal in an art school that actually mm -hmm. existed there called the Grand Central School of Art. What pushed you in the direction of visual art and doing like mm -hmm. art historical fiction with this latest book? You know, I have to tell you, I was pretty terrified at the idea <laughs> you know, I'd taken one art history in college and it was pass fail. So, you know, I knew I had a lot to learn, but I knew I wanted to set a book at Grand Central Terminal, but I wasn't sure really where in the terminal it would be located and who the characters would be. But as I started doing research and I learned about this Grand Central School of Art that was founded by John Singer Sargent in the 1920s, he was one of the co-founders. 
And it was there for 20 years. It had 900 students a year and no one I knew had heard of it. It had basically wow. been lost to history. Yeah. And so I thought, well, that would be a great place to set a book. I, I remember reading an article in the New York Times from the 1920s and it described art students dashing across the concourse in, you know, formal fancy dress on their way to a masquerade ball that the school held every May. And it just ignited something in my imagination. I thought, you know, that's where I'll set the book, at least part of it, in the 1920s at this art school, from the point of view of a faculty member who was actually based on a real artist. And and as I started diving in and getting deeper and deeper and feeling more concerned that I didn't know enough, um, I, I couldn't help myself. I was just entranced with this world and what I learned about illustrators versus fine artists and kind of what was going on in the art world in the 20s, right before the depression hit. And so I just kept on reading. I read bios of Lee Krasner, of Arshel Gorky, anyone I could find who was part of the New York art scene that would provide me with these real details. You know, what kind mm -hmm. of brushes did they use? What kind of paints did they use? And that gave me the confidence at a certain point, I thought, okay, yes, I've got this under me and I can start writing a plot. Are any of the characters or plot points based on real people? Yeah, you had mentioned that Clara, correct? Clara Darden is based on a real professor. Yeah, you know, that's what struck me. In my earlier books, I made up the characters. But here, as I was researching the Grand Central School of Art, I found these two personalities that were just too good to pass up. So my characters are inspired by them, but it doesn't follow their timelines exactly. Because to be honest, what happened in each of their lives is so dramatic that if I wrote it in a book, I think readers would say, nah, that could never happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Helen Dryden is this woman who came to New York from Baltimore. She was an illustrator. She taught at the Grand Central School of Art. She did over 90 covers for Vogue magazine, and they're gorgeous. They're watercolors with these women with these elongated necks. And, you know, if they're wearing a fur coat, it's like they're being devoured by the fur coat. They're really exquisite and very stylized. But she wasn't satisfied with that. She went on to do costumes for Broadway shows. And in fact, she taught costume design at the Grand Central School of Art. But that wasn't enough. She wanted to go into industrial design, which was a real man's world. And she became a consultant to Studebaker cars. And she went to the factories and climbed over the cars and underneath them. And she said to the executives, look, you know, the, the modern woman of the 1920s doesn't want all this fancy stuff. Do a really streamlined art deco approach that's elegant. And they did that. And it was a huge hit to the point that the ads for Studebaker cars in the 1920s would show the car. And then above it in huge letters, it would stay interiors styled by Helen Dryden. I mean, she was huge. And mm -hmm. in the 1930s, she was named the highest paid female artist in America. And then she just disappears, which I was shocked at. And she shows up in an article in the New York Times in the 50s of this woman living in this welfare hotel. And she's surrounded by stacks of yellowed magazines from when she used to work. And she says she had this great personal tragedy and could no longer work. And she ends up in a mental institution and died in the 1970s. Mm, that's 
super tragic. Yeah. So there's this incredible woman who did so much and accomplished so much who's been basically lost to history. Yeah, that's very sad. And she mirrors a lot of the female artists that we talk about as so far as the breadth of what they'll do in Mm -hmm. the art world and in the world of making. And you also kind of touched on earlier this idea of the fine arts versus illustration. And we talk about that too, kind of what people will define as fine arts versus lower arts or more craft arts. And we don't really buy into it here, (laughs) but... What were your thoughts on that? Because I feel like you did address it really well in the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, that was one of the things I learned that I was really surprised at. It's not something I was conscious of or knew about, that there was this such a hierarchy. In fact, one of the artists I interviewed (laughs) said that, you know, it even starts with like landscapes and then portraiture and then uh, that there's this whole thing. And at the very bottom are the illustrators. (laughs) Yeah. And it was just so interesting to me. So I created another character who's a fine artist who also teaches at the Grand Central School of Art in the book. And, you know, they, it's a real clash of ideas as to what's commercial art and what's legitimate art. And that was really fun to explore. I, I found that just fascinating. I, I find that if I'm surprised by something like the Grand Central School of Art existed, then usually my readers will be too. So I use that as my guide. And that hierarchy of artists, again, was I thought, oh, that's great. Got to put that in there. Yeah, I think you really tapped into something that, I mean, it's a huge issue that we talk about on the podcast. And I think our listeners are very interested in. I think just like right now, it's something people are really concerned with is in the world of the arts anyways, this hierarchy that's been created and like what can be defined as art. So I think you tapped in to something that is definitely very relevant and interesting to people right now by kind of exploring that. I really like the way you work through it between the two characters because you don't simplify it to just trying to rag on the fact that there's a hierarchy. You give time and energy to both sides and the psychology of kind of like why people have come to believe these things, you know, how they validate it in their mind, Mm -hmm. all of these aspects that make it a lot more interesting than just, you know, there shouldn't be a hierarchy. It's talking through it makes it, I guess, more understandable. Yeah. In a way that I think is fair to both illustration and abstract expressionism. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then on top of that, you layer in the gender issues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you have so much going on if you have a female illustrator and a male fine artist, you know, there's a whole lot to play with. It was just fascinating to read, you know, how women were were really pushed aside often. Mm -hmm. And, And Helen Dryden was the first female faculty member at the Grand Central School of Art, you know, the way that she pioneered so much, and yet is forgotten, I find just so aggravating. We completely agree. Yeah, I think you're giving us an idea for a future episode. I feel like we should maybe research her a little bit further and see if we can find oh. anything as well, because that's kind of a goal of ours as well, is to try and unearth some of these women artists that have been lost to history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Her Vogue covers are terrific, and her industrial design, again, is it's just really, really interesting. So... 
how did you find the researching for all of this to be like, how did you handle that just as researchers ourselves mm-hmm. and knowing how daunting that can be? I know you said that it was a little bit of pressure at first, not being an art historian. I can tell you from where I'm sitting, I think you did a fantastic job with your research and your details and everything. So oh, hopefully you're not you. feeling any of that mm-hmm. insecurity anymore at all. You made my day. <laughs> I, I think it helps that, you know, before I was writing fiction, I was a journalist. So I'm I'm not afraid to go out and ask people really dumb questions and put myself out there as someone who doesn't know anything about a subject and try and learn as much as I can. So on top of reading everything I could about artists and art at that time period, I interviewed illustrators and artists that I knew and And that was really, really fascinating. I interviewed an illustrator named Don Morris. He just gave me so many great ideas for the story. And that was so valuable. And, you know, even in the book, the title is The Masterpiece. And that alludes to a painting that's found during the plot. um, And is it valuable? and, And what's it all about? But it goes even bigger to, you know, it takes place at Grand Central, which in the 70s, which is another timeline in the book, It was about to be destroyed because developers got the landmark status revoked. They were going to put a 55-story skyscraper on top of it and basically squat it over it. And so, you know, in the book, the masterpiece refers not only to this painting that's discovered, but also the building itself. And so then you're talking about a building as a a kind of sculpture in a way. Mm -hmm. And is Grand Central a masterpiece that should be saved or, you know, should it be destroyed the way they destroyed Penn Station back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. The more I reached out and talked to people or read or went to libraries, I went to Avery Library at Columbia, which is an architecture library, and just poured through old photos and floor plans and really tried to connect both items as works of art as much as I could in the book. And so that the characters start to see where they work in a whole new light, especially in the nineteen seventies when Grand Central was dark and dingy and really scary and just didn't seem like something that should be saved. You know, for me, that's the fun is trying to get these concepts and then create a story around them that will open people's eyes so that they'll look at either an illustration or uh, an oil painting or a building in a whole new way, but not feel like they're being taught something. Mm hmm. We're all about that kind of tricking people into learning. (laughs) (laughs) Sneak in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So did you have any connection to the station before? No. uh, Researching? Yeah. You know, I'd been through it and all, but I learned so much about how it changed. Like that the, the ceiling, which right now is this beautiful aquamarine blue in the 1970s, it was pitch black. And the -hmm. entire thing was cleaned when they finally renovated it. And that they left a rectangle of the original black ceiling in the corner, in the northwest corner. And so if you go there and look up, you can see what the entire ceiling used to look like. And I just love that they left these hints of how it's changed over time. Because I'm really interested in capturing that, how buildings here in the city have changed over time and the layers of history that are within them that I think are so fascinating, especially to figure out how they resonate in terms of comparing them to today. Either the roles of the people who work there, the roles of women specifically, I'm usually interested in, and how Mm -hmm. things have changed over time or how they haven't. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Have you always been interested in architecture? No, you know, not necessarily. When I was a kid, my parents are both English, and we'd go back to the UK every three years to visit relatives, and it would mean driving around the country because you had to hit everybody, you know, on your grand tour. And my mm-hmm. brother and I, he's only a year older than I am. And so we'd start fighting in the back seat. And to keep us from killing each other, my parents would stop at grand estates or ruins or castles and just let us run wild. And I really loved how old everything was. You know, the idea that anything less than 400 years old out there is considered pretty recent. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really where it came from of seeing these buildings and realizing, wow, there's so much has happened and wanting to figure out, well, what did happen? What was it like in the Middle Ages? What was it like in the 1800s? And that's kind of what drives me. Yeah, it's funny, too. You talk about this like respect for the layers and the physical effects of time on buildings and art and architecture, because that is something that in the world of restoration right now is heavily debated, Mm -hmm. whether things should kind of be left to, I don't know if deteriorate's the right word, but to like take... Left to the elements. Yeah. So because medieval cathedrals are black on the ceilings, should it be left? Because that is evidence of the candles that were burned Mm -hmm. and the history that happened there. Or should it be clean so we can have an idea? Like, which is more authentic? And these ideas are definitely something that's talked about a lot. Yeah. Art historical yeah. circles. And, and recently, I was looking at that article about where was it a chapel where they painted in the figures in a way that makes them look like oh, cartoons. Yeah. So bad. Oh, I yeah. forgot where that was when I saw that as well. <laughs> and beyond the one where in Spain, where they took a, a painting and again embellished way too much. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting. And even, you know, my second book is set at the Dakota Apartment House, which is this grand French Renaissance building on Central Park West. It looks like a castle or a fortress. It's really pretty dramatic. And as I was researching, I learned that there was a tenant there who took all of the original stuff out of the apartment, all of the, you know, the fireplaces and all of the molding and put in shag carpets and floor to ceiling mirrors. And, (laughs) and, you know, people were really upset. And so now they have a rule that if you change over an apartment, you have to store all the original stuff in the basement. And there's a a room full of claw footed bathtubs and another one full of pocket doors. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Great for a great museum. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's really beautiful to walk. It's, it's quite amazing. So yeah, it's so funny how that's always a question, isn't it? Are you improving it? Or are you letting it change with time or should it be mm-hmm. a museum? Yeah. It's not a question that I have the answer to. Yeah. <laughs> I like the idea of, at Grand Central of the corner of the ceiling. I think that's a really cute little memento mori. (laughs) Yeah, that's like a nice way to kind of 
I don't meet in the middle, I guess, a compromise, like, yeah. like to kind of hold on to the history and like everything that the space has been through, but still be able to renovate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. I agree. Do you have any just like thoughts or advice for anyone out there that might be interested in writing historical fiction? Ooh, yeah. You know, I read a lot of it. It's just a genre that I've always loved. And so for me, writing historical fiction where there's two time periods that go back and forth and you're kind of reaching to figure out what happened back then and solve a mystery of sorts. If I'd realized how hard it is to write, I would have never started, I think. Um, (laughs) You know, but I studied the structure of other books and really tried to figure out how other authors pulled it off. And so I think just reading in whatever genre you want to do is the most important thing. And then I think not being afraid to go out and ask dumb questions. You know, I I was able to do a tour of the Art Students League given by the curator so I could get a sense of what it's like in an art school. What's the energy like? And got another great idea for the plot just from wandering around talking to her. So really going out and getting, you know, as much really tactile details as you can is I think how you make a story feel like it's alive and working. And, you know, for me, like looking into someone like Arshul Gorky, who was another faculty member at the school, who was an abstract expressionist and, you know, this larger than life guy whose, whose life was really shaped by a tragedy that occurred. He was a, an Armenian immigrant and just what he'd been through, you know, for me, it was really interesting to create a character out of his story, which again is terribly tragic, even mm-hmm. after he hung himself, which you would think would be the saddest thing. There was going to be a, an exhibit of his works in LA in the 60s, and the plane carrying 15 of his artwork crashed on takeoff from JFK. <laughs> and, wow. and yeah, and this is after he'd had a terrible few years of being partially paralyzed in a car accident, getting cancer, his wife leaving him his studio burning down. <laughs> I oh mean, God, oh, <laughs> that is it, like so much. <laughs> it's so much. And on top of that, his childhood had been really tragic. And so that's where the character Levon in the book is inspired mm-hmm. by him. And again, it was someone who I thought, what a powerful man in his paintings. I went to see, he did a painting of its mother and child of it's from a photograph he had of his mother and him when mm-hmm. he was a kid. And it's in the Whitney, so I could go and just stand in front of it and study it and then try and recreate it in the book. And this is what you do as a podcast about visual art, where you have to describe something. And it was really interesting on Facebook. I'll put up the actual painting that I describe in the book and have readers say, yeah, that was exactly what I imagined or no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really fun to do. And again, I think working with real artists and real art helps to ground me in a way so that the story feels rooted in, in a, a reality. Yeah, it's a nice mix. You can kind of feel the, I'm watching <laughs> this, but kind of the rooted nature of yeah. that. It really shines through in sparking curiosity, but also the curiosity that you get from researching something that you're kind of into and nerdy about, but you also get the fuel of reading a novel that pulls you all the way through and mm-hmm. makes you want to just keep reading. So right. you kind of get hit by both, which was really fun. And then I'm also a sucker for multiple characters and storylines and kind yeah. of hopping around. 
it's such good fun. And you know what else? Another thing that inspired me was going to the Georgia O'Keeffe exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum mm-hmm. a year ago. You know, and a character was very inspired by by her story and what she wore and what she did. And it's it's just so much fun. And the art world is just, I mean, it's so dramatic. The stories yeah. behind the work are so <laughs> dramatic. You could, I mean, I could mine this material for days, for, for years. <laughs> yeah, I know, really. It, we have a lot of fun with it <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah, it never the ends. Things. There's always, yeah, more stories and, and yeah, more drama. I feel like just everything about the art world is... If it's not already dramatic, it's made dramatic, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's just wonderful what you do in terms of bringing it to life. I think it's so important. Well, you yeah. as well. Thank you. Definitely. Do you have any fun, like, anecdotes or stories from writing or researching? Or I'm sure it took a little while to do all of this. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. I write books that are set in New York City locations, and this is my third book, and I'm working on the fourth, which takes place at the Chelsea Hotel, which is another really kind of iconic, groovy building here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I go around and travel around and talk to readers, I'm often asked, you know, wow, there's so many buildings in New York, you could just keep on going. And and I'm like, yeah, by, you know, my 30th book, I'll be doing the gas station on 11th Avenue and 43rd <laughs> Street, you know, but there is just so much history here. It's a lot of fun to play with and work on. It kind of feels like you're laying the groundwork for a really fun New York tour. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> yeah. Fiona Davis New York yeah. tour. <laughs> you know, I have to say there's a book group in Boston who I went and talked to last year. And they rented a bus and a bunch, I think there were 20 to 30 people came down and they toured a number of locations that are in all three books. And I met them at Grand Central. And then we went up to the Dakota and we went out for a drink. It was fabulous. That, <laughs> See, that sounds, sounds like so much fun. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. It was very cool. What was cool about looking up at the Dakota, we were all standing across the street and I was explaining something about it. And I've been by that building so many times and looked up and you never see anyone in the windows. And this woman, her, this beautiful woman was looking out one of the windows, almost like a ghost. And she resembled one of the characters. And I thought, all right, this is cool. (laughs) I was going to say, was it a ghost? (laughs) Fantastic. Is there anything else you want listeners to know about the new book? Or your previous books? Yeah. For me, what was interesting about this book are the two main characters. There's one, Clara, who's an illustrator in the 1920s. And the other one is a character named Virginia in the 1970s. And she's an Upper East Side socialite who's fallen on hard times and has to take a job as a clerk in the info booth in the middle Mm -hmm. of the concourse. And it was fun having someone who doesn't know anything about art in the book. And she stumbles into the Grand Central School of Art that's now been abandoned for years and discovers this painting and starts trying to figure out, is it valuable and who did it and, and what's behind it? And, and so it was fun to contrast those two people of someone who's, Claire is very strong-headed and feels she knows everything and the answer to everything. And this character, Virginia, who's kind of more vulnerable mm-hmm. and not quite sure of herself, but through the process of digging into the art and the the background of it, she really finds herself and starts looking at the bigger world when she 
gets involved in the effort to save Grand Central, which in real life was headed by Jackie O, who makes a couple appearances in the book. Mm-hmm. That's when her life really starts working out is by kind of looking around at the world around her and being caught up in something that's important to her and a cause. And in her case, it's saving that building. Yeah, yeah I, really I really enjoyed, enjoyed uh, both with Clara and Virginia, Virginia how, how you kind of examined this idea of of them like coming to find themselves and like becoming stronger independent human beings in in a time when you know women were facing different issues i thought that was really it was done in a way that was both empowering but yeah like virginia is a vulnerable character and so like it was both empowering but also you could relate to the to, to the, the vulnerability vulnerability of the character. Good. Yeah, you know, I you know, I didn't want to picket fence happily ever after story. Although yeah. it is it is happy, but it's a kind of a realistic happy. Mhm. Definitely. And it's nice too that we get to see the characters through different stages in life and you get a, a lot of different ages mm-hmm. too of women and kind of the different breakthroughs and realizations that can come at just different points of time that you maybe couldn't have at a certain point, but you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To me, that's, that's very interesting. I think we tend to not see women over 70. And, yeah. uh, and so it's fun to bring them to life on the page. And, and, and a character that's so full of life. <laughs> yeah. And demanding to be seen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is there anything, I mean, it doesn't even have to be art related. Yeah. Is there anything else about like your life or your work that that inspired the book or yeah. played into it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I came to New York City as an actress and I worked for about 10 years doing Broadway and off Broadway and regional theater and that kind of thing. And it was so much fun. But then I realized, oh, you know, as you get older, as an ingenue, you stop working. And so I ended up going to Columbia Journalism School And that's really, you know, that year I spent there getting my master's was really eye-opening in terms of how much I learned about finding a story and what's important in a story. And, you know, how do you create a narrative out of real life? And so from there, I went off and worked for a theater magazine and did a lot of freelance writing. And it wasn't until I kind of stumbled into a, a story idea that I thought would make a good article but I couldn't get the sources to agree to be interviewed that I ended up creating a book. And that was my first book, The Dollhouse, which really came out of this frustration of knowing that there was a really great story here, but that I'd have to make it myself if I wanted it to be out there. And that was, that was really where it all started. So it feels like every, you know, 10 years or so, I make a complete change in my career. And so far, it's been a blast. I highly recommend it. That's awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Fiona. We really enjoyed reading your novel and getting to talk to you about it. It's like even better now, now that we got to like kind of hear (laughs) the inspiration and everything behind it. We really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with everyone. Thank you. I have to say it's my absolute pleasure. This has been so much fun. We agree. And we're going to have everything linked, the link to your book and your website. So all you lovely listeners out there can check it out for yourselves. Yeah, it's a great read. I know our fans would be into it. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Thanks, everyone, for listening today. Be sure to check us out on all of our social media platforms. Check us out on YouTube. If you want to support the Art History Babes and keep us going, head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Also, make sure to check out our new merch. We have new merchandise at arthistorybabes.com. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here, Fiona. Yeah, thank you. It was great talking to you. My pleasure. Bye, guys. Bye. From Cabernet to Montmartre, they're here to slay the art history babes. All right. All right, we're good. <laughs> End of episode. <laughs> Fantastic. You guys are great. That's lovely. <laughs>